Welcome to the CPTA podcast. I'm Amelia Sullivan. Today, we're talking with a group of physical therapists on the front lines of shaping clinical practice. Today's guests are part of the ANPT Knowledge Translation Task Force for the recently published Physical Therapist Management of Parkinson's Disease, a clinical practice guideline from the American Physical Therapy Association. For this conversation, we'll refer to it as the Parkinson's CPG. In a moment, they'll explain a little bit more about what that means in relation to the CPG, the Knowledge Translation Task Force, and what impact they'll have on you and your practice. If you'd like to view this CPG and the related resources, please visit apca.org and use the search tool. All right, so let's dive right in by having our guests introduce themselves. Miriam, let's start with you. Hi, my name is Miriam Rafferty. I am a neuroclinical specialist and a researcher. My primary role right now is as a research scientist at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab and at Northwestern University. Hello, my name is Rose Babcock. I've been a PT for nearly 20 years. I'm an orthopedic clinical specialist. I live in Orlando, Florida and work in an outpatient clinic um, with a combination of both ortho and neuro diagnoses. Um, I actually had a parent with Parkinson's disease, so this is very uh, near and dear to me. Hi, I'm Anita Bemastority. I am a physical therapist and I am the vice president of practice at APTA and was involved in the development of the, this clinical practice guideline. Thank you. Hi, my name is Beth Crowner and I am a neurologic clinical specialist and have been a physical therapist for 32 years. I am on the faculty at Washington University's program in physical therapy in St. Louis. I have uh, been an administrator. I still see patients. I'm an educator. And previously, I served for six years on the board of directors for the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy, working extensively on knowledge translation efforts. So Beth, let's uh, explain a little bit. This is just a few members of this knowledge translation task force. So can you tell us a little bit about the entire task force? Sure. So the task force is comprised of nine members, eight of whom are physical therapists and one individual who is a public member who is someone who also has Parkinson's disease. And so all of us have extensive um, experience uh, with physical therapy in individuals with Parkinson's disease. Other members of our task force who are not on this particular podcast also include uh, Deb Kegelmeyer, Anson Rosenfeld, Chelsea McPherson, Leslie O'Neill, Christina Kriminger-Morris, as well as Jay Phillips, who is our public member. And essentially when we think about putting together a team to comprise a knowledge translation task force, it's really helpful and important to purposefully select members who have a broad range of experience in different areas uh, because those individuals have different perspectives and that enables the team to effectively meet the needs, experience, and values of all individuals. So members of our task force include um, four people who are faculty members or educators who have the education perspective. Three individuals are currently engaged in research in people with Parkinson's disease. Um, six individuals are practicing clinicians um, in varying amounts and predominantly represent inpatient and outpatient settings, although several members have past experience in acute care and skilled nursing environments. Uh, we have a, an array of individuals with different board certifications for specialty areas. Five of our members have are board certified in neurology, 
two are board certified in geriatrics and one has her orthopedic clinical specialist and that's Rose. Um, we also have one current and one former practice administrator. So individuals who have knowledge and experience of what it means to run a clinic or practice. Two people are residency directors and two have completed their residencies. So we feel like we have a great um, array of individuals who can broadly represent different interests. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so excited to have you guys on here today uh, because you guys have so much experience and background and um, so it should be an interesting conversation. So Anita, let's talk a little bit about APTA's involvement. So can you tell us a little bit about APTA's involvement in the development and then of the CPG and then also this, um, this part, the knowledge translation uh, portion? Sure, thank you. Um, APTA has partnered with APTA sections and academies to support the development of clinical practice guidelines since 2012. And since that time, APTA has supported 41 academy CPGs. APTA de began developing APTA-led CPGs to decrease the time frame for development from five years to two to three years. And the first APTA-developed CPG was the PT management of the total knee arthroscopy. And the second one was physical therapist management of Parkinson's disease which was published in PTJ in December, 2021. There are two other APTA-led CPGs being developed, glenohumeral OA and telerehab CPG, which includes a development group of international experts. When APTA planned on developing the Parkinson CPG, we collaborated with the APTA Academy of Neurology Physical Therapy by requesting that their member experts be included in the guideline development group. We started the process in February 2019 and enlisted the methodological assistance of the Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons Clinical Quality and Value Department. As the CPG developed, APTA requested that the Knowledge Translation Task Force of ANPT take on the implementation of the CPG. They have a very strong and well-developed process for knowledge translation and thought that would be the best way to get the information about the CPG into the hands of the clinicians. Yeah, so now let's kind of dive into uh, why we're here to talk about knowledge translation. So um, you all are part of the ANPT Knowledge Translation Task Force, as Anita just uh, talked about. So your role is really to create implementation tools for the recently published uh, Parkinson CPG. So actually, Beth, I'm going to start with you. So can you explain a little bit more in detail what your group is intending to do? Sure. So first and foremost, I, I'm sure everyone's aware that CPGs are sources of readily available evidence that are rigorously synthesized by expert clinicians and methodologists. And while CPGs are seen as important tools to support our decision-making in practice, um, there's still a huge lack of adherence to guidelines worldwide across different health conditions and at different levels of care. So essentially publishing a CPG is fantastic, but it's not enough. The act of publication alone only involves dissemination. It doesn't provide guidance on strategies for actually implementing change into practice. So I like to think of things um, in terms of three different steps for our group. So the first step would be our group focusing on identifying barriers, facilitators, 
beliefs and attitudes that would impact the implementation of the recommendations. Miriam's going to talk a bit more in a minute about a survey of physical therapist providers that will help guide the tools that we create. So once we've done that, step two, um, after the survey results have been obtained, the hope is that we create targeted tools that can be used to facilitate the implementation of each of the action statements. The tools um, would be created to identify the needs that were identified in the survey. We can also provide resources or tools to users on assessing readiness to change within a given organization. So even though we may come out with particular implementation strategies, it may not fit every organization's workflow or their attitude. So it's helpful for an end user to have tools at their fingertips to know how to affect change specifically within their own environment. We also need plan on developing implementation strategy that, that need to be customized to different practice settings. So individuals with PD are treated in the home health setting, in acute care, in inpatient rehab, and in outpatient. And implementation strategies, it's not a one-size-fits-all um, situation. So we hope to develop uh, tools that can be implemented across the continuum of care. So additionally, the tools that we create themselves may be different. So people, the end users, the physical therapists, oftentimes differ in their own learning style. Some people prefer to have written examples like fact sheets. Other people may prefer auditory means of getting information like this podcast. Other people are more visual learners um, and may prefer a webinar or an actual live educational session where implementation tools and strategies can be visually demonstrated. So we hope to have an array of tools that um, meet different people's needs as it relates to learning styles. We also hope to create information for ed educators in both DPT as well as PTA educational institutions that can enable them to enhance curricular content, to include information about the CPG, to improve the knowledge of up and coming physical therapists, those that are students. And we also hope to educate consumers and patients and their care partners as well as partnering with external organizations to improve their knowledge and their comfort with self-advocacy. And Miriam's going to speak to this a little bit more later. And then the final step um, as that I envision is reassessing or resurveying the end user physical therapists after we've done all this to see if things have stuck, if they remember and have utilized some of the tools that we've created. Rose, I know you you kind of wanted to add some some thoughts too. Um, yeah, basically, um, how I put it for me, because you know I'm not I'm not an academic, so um, just to kind of put it in my terms, what I feel like our job is is uh, to take this newly published recommendation and and to get it out to the masses. Uh, we know how busy everybody is in healthcare right now, especially, um, and it's so difficult to keep up with the research out there. Um, especially when those documents are really long and contain a lot of information. So essentially our goal is to make, take that most pertinent information for clinical practice and just make it easier to access. We're trying to make it um, more concise and manageable so it can easily be consumed and integrated right into practice for, you know, for everyone who works with those with Parkinson's disease. Which kind of leads us into the next question where we're gonna talk a little bit about the survey that was, that was mentioned before. 
So I know your task force recently launched a survey, an uptake survey related to the CPG. Uh, Miriam, can you share a little bit about what you're looking for with the survey results and maybe even any uh, preliminary findings if you have them? And um, I also understand you're going to take these results and create implementation tools from those results. So can you give us an example of what you'll create from the data collected? Yeah, great. Thanks, Amelia. So our survey has, I would say, five key parts to it. First, we ask the standard demographics questions, and that's so that we understand who's responding to the survey. Then we have a few questions asking about if people are aware of the CPG and whether they currently do the behaviors that are listed in our action statements. And this is really to get a baseline. Um, we're hoping to redo the survey again a, a year and a half or two years from now. And we expect to, you know, more people to know about the CPG um, after, you know, at our second time we do the survey. After asking about whether people do the behaviors, then we ask a series of questions about their attitudes and knowledge and comfort with the, um, with the action statements. So for example, when you ask a bunch of physical therapists if they have the knowledge to do balance training with people with Parkinson's disease and if they're comfortable doing balance training, you're probably not surprised that most people who've responded to our survey agree that they are comfortable and have the knowledge to do that. However, we then also ask about some of our other action statements, like we have a tele-rehabilitation action statement. Um, we have an action statement about behavior change strategies for physical activity. And so those are things that we're finding that people are a little bit less comfortable with. We then ask about barriers and facilitators to implementing the CPG in the different action statements. And what we're looking at there is what are the hangups for people? Is it that they don't have the right equipment to do some of like be a aerobic and balanced training safely uh, is that they don't feel like they have enough time to either review the CPG or to implement the action statements. We list a bunch of barriers and then we also are starting to get a lot of data in the free text boxes and that's the data that I think is going to be really helpful. We then ask about um, potential facilitators. So what could we do to make it easier for you? Should we, um, and what types of knowledge translation tools can we create? So we generated as a task force with all of our various experience, we generated a list of possibilities. And this is based on some of the things that our other knowledge translation groups have done. So would it be helpful to have these, we have some pocket guides, we have some fact sheets, we have, a, you know, a campaign, you know, social media campaigns, would it be helpful if we create documentation guides for people who are documenting an EPIC or Cerner or WebPT? We just put it all out there and we're letting people rate how useful that would be. And we're gonna use that information to help us guide the tools that we create. And you know, one of the other things I'll share is, you know, in the first three weeks, we've had 135 responses so far. And most of these are coming from outpatient neurologic physical therapists. And what I would, what we're starting to do now is to push the survey out in forums like this to more general audiences. If you don't consider yourself a Parkinson's PT, we want you to do this survey. We want you to tell us what we can do to help you when you have that one patient that comes in and you're like, oh shoot, now I need to scramble and look all this stuff up. We want to make it easy for you to find that information. So even if you don't, you know, especially if you don't consider yourself a Parkinson's PT, please complete the survey and tell us how we can help you. You know, we want home health therapists, we want outpatient ortho therapists, generalists who work in rural areas, uh, geriatric therapists in skilled nursing settings, um, teachers, tell us what we can do to make it easier for you to teach your PT students. 
CIs, tell us what we can do to make it easier for you to teach your students. So all of you, we, we really would love your feedback. Yeah, and Miriam, you mentioned pocket guides. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about the pocket guides that are up on APTA.org currently? Yeah, thank you. So we, using the APTA's guideline central, we created two pocket guides. One is for clinicians and one is for patients. The pocket guides really are a very quick summary of the action statement. So if you've got, you know, the whole CPG, the article itself is, I think, like 30 some pages, and then you've got all the tables and things after that. This is that one table that you want that tells you what to do. So the PT pocket guide has that table and then has a little bit of information about implementation. It is just scratching the surface. It's not going to tell you in detail what to do. The patient pocket guide is written in lay language and it has a little bit more of a preamble to it about how physical therapy can be helpful for people with Parkinson's disease. And then if they're going to see an expert PT, that PT should be doing these things. So it's letting the patient know, like if your PT spending, you know, your PT should be working on aerobic balance, strength training exercises, gait training, external cueing. And that way, if their therapist is not working on those things, it might, um, cause a light bulb to go off in their head to make sure that they're receiving the best care. We are working, uh, the APTA has been really wonderful, I think about acknowledging the need to translate these into other languages. So they're working on translating the patient pocket guide into Spanish. The CPG is translated into Spanish, which is really great. And we're kind of looking forward to having a greater international reach potentially. So the pocket guides are really just scratching the surface in detail. And after we make the, after the pocket guides are completed, we're also making fact sheets that are one to two pages and go into more depth on how to implement each action statement. So far we have fact sheets developed for aerobic exercise, balance training and strength training. And we'll have a fact sheet for each of our action statements, hopefully by April. So for example, in our resistance training fact sheet, we're talking a little bit more about exercise dosing. And when we're done with that fact sheet, we're going to dive into the weeds and really make sure that everybody knows how to do a predicted one repetition maximum and things that we might've learned about in PT school, but that we don't, haven't been doing on a regular basis. Um, maybe Rose and Beth can share a little bit more about some of the knowledge translation tools for the other action statements. One of the other avenues we were looking at was um, perhaps doing some instructional videos, um, putting on YouTube, um, how to perform task-specific training, giving people guidelines on, on what to do, um, as well as with balance training, providing um, clinicians with, <laughs> showing clinicians different exercises, different balance training that they can do with, in, within their own practice, how to integrate that. And certainly we're gonna talk about, you know, what, what does that look like in outpatient therapy? What does that look like in the home? So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna provide these tools so people can see, you know, with their own eyes, this information put into, um, into visual cues, into, um, you know, obviously we have the written documents, but visually uh, the podcast, you know, just getting all that information out there. I can envision, um, again, creating video-based examples of how to truly affect the performance of high-level aerobic training in an individual with PD who also has movement problems. Um, for example, someone who may have Destination or freezing of gait, um, individuals who have autonomic dysregulation or orthostatic hypotension, and blending all of the things that we know 
about someone with PD into actual um, implementation in real life, because that's where I think the rubber hits the road and where it tends to be more difficult. So now that we've talked about how you guys are going to do your job, right? Get all this information out there, uh, you know, kind of look at the data. So let's talk about what a successful implementation look like. So, and I, and I'm hoping that you guys could talk the big stuff and the small stuff uh, all, all at once, but, but what does that look like to you all as the translation task force? So Beth, we'll start with you. So, I mean, I think the obvious goal is to improve the care and outcomes uh, for people with PD. And this is done again by using the best available evidence and reducing variation in practice. So one of the things that is really obvious at times is when you go into a clinic and you see 20 different things being done um, on, a, on a set of patients that have very similar conditions without um, thought as to does this align with the best available evidence. So the big picture is getting people to do things that are consistent with the action statements and guidelines. A small measure of a success um, for our task force might be, again, is has there been uptake in the knowledge? Do practicing physical therapists, whether they are routinely working with people with PD or not, whether they have knowledge of the CPG, whether they're using this information, that would be sort of a small win as it relates to a measurable aspect of success. So if we ask people in a year or two years from now, are you aware of these things? And they say, yes, fantastic. And, and are they actually doing it? A really big picture, um, pie in the sky kind of measure of success would be can we affect things like health policy as an example? So one really big picture pie in the sky measure would be since we know um, exercise and all the things that are illustrated in the CPG are important, can we affect policy change? For example, with CMS routinely covering silver sneakers across all of their platforms and all of their plans, as well as those with private payers. Um, secondarily, as a policy example, could we get CMS or other private payers to cover fitness tracking devices that allow us um, or patients to have funding for activity monitors or vital sign monitoring within the context of exercise to ensure safety as part of an implementation strategy. So that's a really big picture idea, but we know the evidence and if we can convince payers to do some things that will support um, individuals with PD to improve their overall activity and exercise, that would be a tremendous win. Rose, uh, you had thoughts you wanted to add here? Yeah, so collectively, I feel our ultimate goal here is to make sure that our patients and clients are receiving the best care possible, to be honest. Um, we wanna make sure that clinicians are practicing that evidence-informed care, what are those interventions that are going to offer the best outcomes for our patients and our clients? Um, this can be an important resource, particularly for those who don't practice um, with those with Parkinson's disease as often as others. You know, honestly though, navigating Parkinson's disease is tough enough. We want to make it as easy as possible for those with Parkinson's disease to get the best care they can so they can maintain a high quality life for as long as possible. 
So Miriam, we know that there's a lot of groups outside of APTA and the academies that were mentioned uh, early on who focus on PD and treatment and management. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the resources and um, groups that are out there that you would encourage listeners to check out? Yeah, thanks. So great sources of clinical information include, you know, I'm biased, but the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy and the Degenerative Disease SIG. Other sources of information come from other Parkinson's clinical practice guidelines that have been developed in other countries. In Europe, the, the Netherlands has something called ParkNet, the UK and Canada. Those, some of those CPGs also include specific referral recommendations for physicians and when physicians should refer to PT, which our CPG doesn't touch upon. So it's kind of nice to blend the evidence from the different CPGs. Our CPG has also been translated into Spanish. And so we're hoping to partner with some international groups like World Physio or the International Neurologic Physical Therapy Association. Um, and so hopefully that will help us reach more physical therapists around the world. For consumer groups, there are many advocacy organizations. It's almost, it's really hard, I think, for people with Parkinson's sometimes to know where to look. The two that um, provide the most resources for people with Parkinson's related to exercise and PT are the American Parkinson's Disease Association and the Parkinson's Foundation. They both have great resources already, including education booklets and webinars for consumers, as well as continuing education opportunities for practitioners. And we're really hoping to partner with them so that we can ensure that all the information that's going out into the world on PT and exercise is consistent. What we don't want is like our CPG and our information to recommend one thing where they've got something old on their website. Um, and, you know, Besides those groups, there's numerous other advocacy organizations like the Mike and resource organizations like the Michael J. Fox Foundation and the Davis Finney Foundation and the Brian Grant Foundation. You can just name, you can keep going, I think, especially then you get locally. And so one of the nice things about having a broad knowledge translation task force is we're hoping to reach out to a lot of those groups to see what we can do to help them update their content. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today. And uh, for listeners, if you'd like to view the CPG we've been talking about and the related resources we've been discussing, visit APTA.org and search Parkinson disease CPG and you'll find um, all the links that you'll be looking for. To receive the latest updates on practice related resources, sign up for APTA's Friday Focus Evidence and Care series. It's an email delivered straight to your inbox. To sign up, visit APTA.org and search for email preferences. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Amelia Sullivan, and thanks for listening.